1: Within the courses at International Horse College, we only utilise methods that promote safe and humane ways of interaction between horses and humans. We only support safe methods of educating riders, handlers and trainers about horse welfare. Internationalhorsecollege.com Registered Training Organisation 31352 Hello, today I'd like to introduce you to Sue Chandler. Sue's a Level 3 dressage coach, as well as a Level 2 general. She's also a coach educator, Level A dressage judge, and a judge educator. Hello, Sue. How are you today?
0: I'm good, thank you very much, Venice. Good, good. All good,
1: yeah. Sue, I want to talk about your favourite inspirational quote, which is, no hour of life is wasted that's spent in the saddle. And just tell, I mean, I can imagine. But just tell me a little bit about the quote, what's inspired you, and how many hours a day you actually spend in the saddle? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it's a philosophical thing, really, and it's actually a very famous quote by Winston Churchill. And I figured if he had enough time to spend some time in the saddle, then, you know, he was doing pretty well. Yep. But you're learning all the time from your horse trying to obviously form a relationship with the horse. And it's a case of how many hours does it take to become an automatic driver? Well, the same applies for a rider. You know, Mm. you never stop learning. Mm. And Mm. uh, as I say, you can't spend enough time in the saddle. I don't spend as much time in the saddle as I used to, but generally I try and ride two horses at least five or six days a week. Mm -hmm. I'm very often away doing clinics and so when I'm home there's never a day off for them really Mm because I'm away enough to give them breaks. Good, good. So that's the way it is these days. Obviously in the
1: past I've ridden a lot more horses during the day so younger and fitter then. (laughs) Sue, because you're already established as a coach, coach educator, judge educator, I want you to just go back. The idea is that people listening to this don't just think, well, that's okay for Sue because she's quite established. I want you to go back and think about when you first started writing. What were things like then? Tell me a little bit about the first day, your first experience. Yeah.
0: Well, I was living in England from when I was a small child. I was born in Melbourne, but we went to England when I was seven. Mm-hmm. And when I was 12, I have the choice of a riding lesson a week or a piano lesson a week. <laughs> and because wow. these days kids do... Many things. They have piano lessons, or basketball lessons, and riding lessons. But I could only, we could only afford for me to have one lesson a week. Uh-huh. So from twelve onwards, I basically rode once a week. Uh-huh. My parents rarely saw me ride because they were always working. I used to go to the stables with a friend, uh-huh. and then I ended up staying for the afternoon to help, you know, muck out stables. Basically, I think we did, and yep. getting horses ready. And when I left school, I went to work at the same stables that I learnt to ride at. I did some British qualifications there. Mm-hmm. Then I moved on, came back to Australia, ended up running that riding school that I worked at, that I learnt <laughs> to ride it's at. It's a good, good story,
1: isn't it? Good story. But it was
0: hard work. Like mm-hmm. it was. Mm-hmm. I don't know that anyone will have done it tougher than they do it in England. Mm-hmm. And then I came back to Australia and I worked at the riding schools and, you know, I've started Young Horses with the help of people. I rode horses off the track, horses from the sale yards, you name it, but I never actually owned my own horse until I was about 27. So I was lucky enough to ride other people's horses Mm. and these days you just wonder, look in amazement at what is happening with our young riders now. They're just so fortunate. Mm, so, mm. yeah, I've, I've been involved with it for a very long time, about 45 years now,
1: and been an eventful life, shall we say. <laughs> uh, yeah. Tell tell me about your first horse. You got a horse when you are 26. Just tell me yeah, a little my, bit about yeah. it. Well,
0: I, I did ride other people's horses yes. and, and compete up until that time. Mm, mm. But the first horse I got was a thoroughbred horse. This is going back to the – Early '80s, mm-hmm. he'd been a horse that was barred from the racetrack, and he was owned by Fred Hoovenars, who I worked for at the time at okay. the Australian Equestrian Academy in Geelong. Yep. Um. His son took him to Pony Club State Champs eventing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And his daughter Yitzka rode him at Gawler and then <laughs> then he became a dressage horse, really. And I sort of started off with him at elementary yep. and ended up doing a FI on him, but he. As my first horse, he was a very talented thoroughbred, but as I say, as he was barred from the racetrack, he sort of had a mind of his own. Okay. And yeah, it was why was hard. he barred? Bad. Was, it, was it a barrier I think thing? I it was a bolter. he was a bolter. Oh, was he? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and he was a lovely, lovely type of horse, really nice places. And, um, but now if we had him now, we'd probably say he had ulcers and – He needed more physio attention and stuff like that. Our horses these days get so much care
1: Mm, compared
0: mm, to back then. mm, But, you know, he taught me. The one thing I tell people that he taught me was to be patient. Okay. I couldn't get on him and say, I've got not my full hour today or whatever. Mm. Uh, So I could never cut my warm-up. I would just do a warm-up and then take him for a walk and get off. I couldn't cut the warm-up out. So I had to be patient for what I got to get to the point where I could actually ask for more work without without causing tension and, and mm, things like mm, that. So mm. I think that was a fairly important lesson to learn because these days people are fairly impatient. Mm-hmm. And as a coach, I find that's the hardest thing to, one of the hardest things to get writers to understand is that it is a long process and you just have to sometimes take what you get and be happy with what you get. And, you know, it just cannot cut the corners.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: okay, okay.
1: All right, now as a judge, you've started judging. What made you decide to start judging?
0: I think probably judging for me is was one of those things that I just got into, you know, mm-hmm. because I was a rider and a coach and I've just been involved in every aspect of our game really since I could. And I just started judging because people thought I'd be a good judge. And I think I, I just love to help people as a judge educator as well. But the judging is, it, it can be, you know, a little bit uh, daunting at times. Sometimes mm-hmm. you get told, oh, look, you're going to go and judge this test today and might be at a, a more high profile competition. Mm -hmm. and you just have a little bit of a panic, but then you get over it and you just do your own thing and and basically you're on the right page. I actually quite like judging and I think it's an important job and I suppose it is a way of giving back to the sport, but, I mean, I sort of try and do that as much as I can in other areas anyway, but I think it's really important that people get the right message from judges. Yep, yep. And... I like to think that as a rider, I can be a very fair judge. You can see a lot more when you're a rider and mm-hmm. a judge as well.
1: Mm-hmm. So what are the main lessons do you think, you know, because you as a, as a judge educator and mentor, what are the main things that you teach young judges? Is it about the technical aspects? Is it more about the, the way that, yeah, you tell me, what are the main lessons yeah. for young judges?
0: I've done quite a lot of judges' schools lately. I think the biggest thing that any judge has to understand is that they're under an enormous amount of pressure Mm -hmm. as soon as they get into the judge's box. And very often when you're just judging, you might be a rider, but you might ride, you know, three or four times a week and then go off to work. Mm -hmm. And then when you're looking at horses, you're actually judging straight up. You're under pressure. And I suggest to go and look and watch as much as you can where you're not actually under pressure to perform as a judge and make all those decisions.
1: Mm,
0: And also make sure if you're watching lessons or coaching activities or judging activities that you're working with somebody that you know has correct knowledge because, I mean, everyone there is in their standard, but mm. you need to know that the person you're listening to is correct and what you're seeing is a correct sort of interpretation of what they're telling the rider to do or, or, or judging. So I think that takes the pressure off. It's the same with coaching. If you get control of the ride and you have good communication skills to the group as a ride, mm-hmm. then you can actually start teaching them. It's no good having them out of control and trying to have a clear mind to um, give, you know, correct instructions. And it's the same with judging. You've got to be able to look at the horse Mm -hmm. and just Mm -hmm. take the view in and say, right, now what do I have to be addressing? I really think that's important. Okay, okay. All
1: right. Now, going back, you know, you've owned a few horses since 26. Is there a horse Mm. that stands out that's taught you a lot taught you it may not have been your highest level horse but just one that you've had that you've learned learned a lot influenced you in your journey yeah
0: well I've ridden lots and lots of horses haven't competed on all of them but well I say my first horse he that I owned he really taught me to be patient other horses that I've had you know and ridden there's been many many of them and they all teach you something I'm very lucky now well I, I have been I've riding two mares at the moment. One has been a, an absolute showstopper in prelim, novice and elementary, and then unfortunately injured herself. And we're hoping that she comes back to her former glory. We're, we've got fingers crossed now. She's just back in work now. But as a lower-level horse, she taught me to really go for it because I could. Yeah. And she just sort of relished in it. Mm -hmm. so that's been fantastic the other horse that I have she's taught me that I actually a couple of years ago I was thinking this horse there's something wrong with this horse and she's you know it's time to call it quits and I actually gave myself a severe talking to because at the time she was 12 yep and I just thought, well, 30 years ago, the horse that I had, he he did not start doing any sort of Olympic disciplines until he was 11. <laughs> okay. And then he, then he invented yep. and then he took up dressage. And I thought, you know what, get over yourself and just work with this horse. And I, since then I've just turned the way I ride her and think about her around. And she obviously did have issues prior to that and still does, but she's now, after having her for seven years, and I'll say she has had a few soundness issues and stuff like that, but now we are turning ourselves around, and I sort of think, well, now she's actually going like a seven-year-old. Good. uh, But she's, you know, 13. So, you know, you can't can't ever say it's finished unless Mm. there's an absolute soundness issue, and I think people are very inclined to treat their horse a bit like a commodity these days. I mean... A horse is like a dog, it's a commitment for the length of the horse's life Mm, mm. and um, we have to work with it and learn from it. So I think there's three really different lessons I've learned, fairly important ones, you know. It is sort of a a philosophical thing, but I don't believe in, in sacking horses. So, um, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on and on
1: about horses that have taught me things, but they're three fairly important messages, I think. Okay. Thinking about people or a person that's influenced you, you've talked about Fred Hoevenaas. Is it Fred, you know, just someone that stands out that you think, wow, they've really influenced me quite a lot, or a, or a couple of people?
0: Yeah, there's a lot of people really. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, as I a I worked with, Fred at the A, that, that was big. Uh, it was quite funny, really, because he didn't often say anything good. But, you know, he might come and, and just grunt, and you think, well, that obviously isn't great. So, fix. <laughs> so that was good, and we actually stir him right up about it now. Mm. But, you know, Edgar leak Bark and Mary Ann Bark, who's mm-hmm. having no longer with us were both hugely influential in this country, and people didn't really know a lot about them because they weren't ever people that would um, blow their own trumpets. So, mm. but their knowledge was classical, yes. and very much give the horse a go and listen to the horse, feel the horse. You know, make it work for the horse as well as for yourself. Mm, mm. Yeah, something like a, I have a, a cowboy friend who says, look, all you're really trying to do is get control of the feet. And so in a different way, he's saying the same story mm-hmm. over and over, in getting the horse to work with you and, and you know, really – encouraging the development of a, a friendship and a relationship and I don't mean that to sound fluffy because I know mm, sometimes mm. it can be very confronting and you have to ride through that and you have to uh, accept the bumps in the road as well as the smooth bits. Mm, so, mm. yeah. Yeah, no. there's so many people, I mean, you know, and <laughs> yeah. Kelly. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's lots of place, people you can you can go through and You'd, you'd have a list as long as your arm, really. Mm-hmm.
1: So, all yeah. right. Well, of all that, what has been your proudest moment?
0: Ooh. well, some of my proudest moments have just involved my students. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've winning a state championship novice on that really nice horse. That was a really nice moment because we'd worked pretty hard to get there. And uh, but as I say, a lot of my proudest moments have been. From my students' point of view, mm-hmm. I had a student who is a coach as well from Tasmania who came over to the nationals when they were last in Melbourne and, and got a ribbon in the elementary, which you know doesn't sound very much, but mm. for somebody a not so flash horse come over from <laughs> in Tassie, which is no main feat, yep, and, and to get a you know a ribbon in the top six, I think it was a pretty good. She yes. was so up in the moon, yep. And like I say, it was all about the training with mm. with her. She's mm. a great girl. Um, and you know, I teach a lot of uh, junior riders that are hopefully going to be at the moment. They're quite promising now. Whether they go on and and go the whole hog, that's another matter. But as I say, they're so fortunate these days because they've got such lovely horses that they've really got the world at their feet. Yep. And so I, I take a lot of pride out of their performances. And also just teaching people. I, a lot of people that I teach are very unassuming people on nice horses, nice enough horses, and they just get their horses going more directly, more forward, more willingly. Mm-hmm. And to me, now I say, look at this, you know, this is fantastic. And, it, they, and they go around in adult riding classes um some doing some dressage tests and everyone says, Hey, that person's going really well. And <laughs> yes. that to me I love it. You yes. know, they're um housewife superstars mm, and mm, they really mm. work hard. And yep. then you know, they're young. they you know, they could be a little bit more middle aged than than the average person, but hello, they really make mm. me feel proud. Great. They're really happy.
1: Great. And they're
0: people just, I teach in sort of more remote areas, so mm-hmm. they're not going to a different instructor every fortnight.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, they basically do their homework in between clinics, and you can't wipe the smile off their faces. You know? <laughs> that's,
1: yeah, that's that important. Really yeah, yeah, yeah. Really it's it's yeah, very satisfying, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah, very, very. I love those clinics.
1: All right. Now, we'd like a training tip for riders and handlers and also a training yep. tip for horses, you know, the, 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 so okay. uh, something for the riders to think for their own riding, but then yep. something they can do with their horse as well. What have you got?
0: Yeah. My motto mm-hmm. for everybody, whether they're leading a horse, riding a horse, going to catch the horse is expect the unexpected
1: mm-hmm. because
0: mm-hmm. horses, and the more cocky you feel,
1: the yeah. more they are. <laughs>
0: throw the unexpected at you. Yep. As far as the rider is concerned, whatever you're doing, you need to use plenty of preparation time. And okay. um, That's probably my most common comment on a dressage sheet mm-hmm. as a judge. And when they're training their horses, they have to set their horse up to win, not to fail. Mm-hmm. So that sort of covers all Avenues
1: really good. All right, what about a book? Have you got a book that you would recommend?
0: Well, I think everybody needs to
1: have the principles of writing, the German
0: Yep. because it sort of encompasses everything you need to know. Of course, it's got the the training scale, well explained in there, and these days are so mindful of the training scale. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, people have to understand that the training scale is not just a series of words that are linked together, that it, they have to have it run through their head in all their training at every yes. level. Yep. Yeah. And um, I even like some of the Tellington Touch books, which might not be everybody's cup of tea, but they do tell you a lot about horse language. I think mm-hmm. people need to understand the signs of discomfort in horses a little bit more thoroughly these days. So much more um, educated on these things, mm-hmm. and people don't sort of recognize that enough. There's a lot of people coming into horses that don't necessarily. I mean, I don't come from an horsey background, but I've had it there all the time. But you see a lot of people buy horses for themselves or their children and they actually have no inclination to learn about horsemanship. Mm. And that can be sort of catastrophic in, in some cases. Mm-hmm. So I think anything that's going to help you increase your own knowledge and education on those topics is, is so important.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, now what does your future hold, Sue? What do you plan, you know? My future, yeah. I keep riding as long as I can mm-hmm.
0: and looking at these two horses, trying to get, I'd like to get at least one of them to FEI. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, I just keep doing what I'm doing, my coach educating, coach educating and my regional clinics Yep. and my
1: students in this area uh-huh. Um yeah, so... No, that's, that's just, great. Sound, sounds like you're already doing what you love doing anyway. Yeah. Well, well, have you got a lesson for the listeners today, just a, a um, philosophical lesson or something that they can go away and think about after today's... Uh,
0: yeah. In- yep. Yeah, I think you have to have a plan. Mm-hmm. And to be fair to the horse, you have to stick to the plan. I think it's really important to have a coach or a a teacher, a teacher and a mentor that is on on the right track Uh and can take you with them rather than thinking you're going to get instant results. It is a very slow process. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's frustrating, but you've got to recognise the try in the horse just like you want an instructor or teacher that recognises the try in the rider, mm-hmm. I think the main, main thing is to take your time and, and give the horse a chance. Yep. You have to remember that when we're riding, we become the horse's leader. Yes. And if we start, if something goes wrong, I this is something else I talk about that I, I don't think, mean and nasty horses were born that way i think they get like that because riders are confused yep and when the going gets a little bit tricky mm-hmm. the rider sort of becomes gray and the, the horse goes well what do you want me to do and something might happen and someone will say well that's a naughty horse and in actual fact if you just kept doing what you were doing instead of becoming emotional yep, then the horse would probably stay more level-headed I I think you need to have somebody that develops your confidence in your own abilities Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. uh, lets you go off and be confident, not keep you on their sort of apron strings eating you all the time. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I hope that makes
1: sense. (laughs) Okay. Look, Sue, it's been great talking to you today. If people want to contact you about clinics or contact you for any other reason, what's the best way for them to contact you?
0: Probably on my email,
1: suchandler07 yep. at com. All right. And we'll put that in the show notes as well for people to contact okay. you. Okay. I, I do have a website, which I haven't updated for a while, but I do have a website with some information
0: about my history and everything if people want And that's um, Chandler Equestrian
1: Services, all one word. Yes. Uh, at weebly.com. com. Okay. All right, and we'll put that link up as well. All right, thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you, Gladys. Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered training organisation 31352.